Welcome, everybody, to SCI's First for Hunters podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cassidy, Executive Vice President for International Government and Public Affairs. doesn't matter where you hunt, what you hunt, or how you hunt. You've come to the right place if you're a hunter. This podcast will give you the latest breaking news on what's happening and what you can do about it to protect your freedom to hunt. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode here with First for Hunters podcast at SCI. We're here in Nashville. I'm with my good friend and taxidermist, Wes Good. Wes, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. This isn't your first rodeo, but first time in Nashville? First time in an SCI show in Nashville. Exactly, exactly. So what do you think so far? Hey, it's been a great week. Honestly, yep. it's been, the attendance has been great. We've had great response, and uh, we, love, we love the show here. Awesome. I feel like that's, I'm hearing that from everybody i mean the venue here has been so great um it's just a, a really nice spot to come and everybody enjoy what we all love so it's it's been fantastic but um i'm really excited to talk to you man uh i've had the pleasure of getting a lot of great art from you guys i call taxidermy art because yeah, you guys works. truly are artisans but uh, i would love to get more of the backstory uh, i want to understand why why are you in taxidermy <laughs> what what led you to this point yeah, it's funny. You tell people you're a taxidermist, they're like, really? <laughs> it's an interesting uh, career for sure. Uh, and honestly, it started as a hobby uh, way back in high school. Right. Uh, I was always someone who enjoyed art, making things, creating. Um, also an avid hunter and outdoors person. And taxidermy was just one of those cool things to try. And um, honestly, it ended up sticking. It was a hobby that turned into a career without even planning it to be that way um still love what i do still love making things still love creating still love the art side of taxidermy um, taxidermy really is more of an art and a craft um and we love it yeah that's great and and you have some family members that are part of the business as well is that right we do yeah yeah my my brother daryl joined me soon after it was a full-time gig for me um it's over 20 years ago and he's still he's still the lead guy in the shop and um younger brother as well worked works uh for the shop so um yeah it's been uh it's been good that's awesome i i've always admired daryl's work with cats because as we all know cats can be pretty tricky and the the couple of times i've been in the in the studio i've watched what he's done i'm just like wow blown away yeah he's a he's a true artist for sure and um it's it's fun to see him once he gets a vision in his head it's fun to see him kind of run with it and for sure take it to fruition yeah no absolutely and and so you said how long have y'all been in business a little over 20 years is that right going on 25 years 25 years yeah. and i don't know in my experience you know i've i've kind of seen the good bad and the ugly with taxidermy you guys are like beyond the good so <laughs> most been, days we try <laughs> have you guys been able to maintain that for so long because there's a lot of fly by night sort of taxidermists out there but i feel like it's it's tough to to be at the top of your game for so long and in 25 years in business that's fantastic yeah yeah i mean for us it's we're still passionate about what we do you know it hasn't turned into this production thing where we're just cranking mm -hmm. stuff out um we still really care about the work that we do at the end of the day right. At the end of the day, we care more about how the piece looks in the bottom line, and sometimes it gets us into trouble, but most times it works out. No, that's important, though. I mean, the quality of your work speaks for itself, and, and I think that definitely is a strong attribute to the success of what Kanadi's created, so that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and, and tell the folks that may not know, like, what all kind of taxidermy work do you guys do? Because some people are kind of, you know, one-trick ponies. They may just do shoulder whitetail mounts, or they may just do 
you know, birds and waterfowl. What, what all do you guys do? Yeah, so we like to say we do everything from mouse to moose. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> from cricket to elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do specialize in big game. That's kind of been our niche. Um, but that's not to say that's all that we do. We still do a fair amount of, of, of small games, particularly some of the African species and stuff like that, but even some of the North American stuff. Um, you can get creative with um, fox and bobcat and lynx and that type yeah. of stuff as well, and we like the variety, but um, our niche is definitely big game mm-hmm. um, for sure. Gotcha. How many, I mean, how many different species and from how many different countries do you think you guys have had the opportunity to help recreate? Yeah, so that's... Uh, I don't have an exact count. I mean, there's there's not really a huntable animal that we haven't had our hands on at some point in time in those 25 wow. years. It's crazy. Um, but um, so, yeah, there's it's, it's a huge variety. Oh, that's really cool because, I mean, I think what most people don't realize, and I'm not a taxidermist, so I can't even speak to this as nearly as well as you could, obviously. But, you know, there's some of these species are, are quite a bit difficult to work with. And so finding a taxidermist that has had that experience and working with so many different species is is really important because for a lot of us some of these animals that we're able to go and get in far-flung places that may be the only time we we go and get that animal and mm-hmm. to bring it back to a taxidermist that has the competence and more than likely is already you know messed with that t- type of hide and and the forms in which they've they've got to rebuild the the, the skin onto etc um that expertise and already having done that at least once is yeah. is definitely to the favor of of the hunter so. right yeah yeah for sure and one of the things that that we do as well is we don't rely on a, a taxidermy supply company to be our mm. your number one vendor we we do a lot of our own custom forms so if you have that unique species gotcha. or that odd size we're custom building our forms um and that kind of opens up the the opportunities for any any species and if we have to yeah. create some form that's for an animal that's never been mounted before uh we can do that no that's actually see i didn't didn't even realize that but that is a huge differentiator because i mean it correct me if i'm wrong here but most skin it's kind of like memory foam foam, right like it kind of wants to settle back into its original place and so getting that right fit on a custom form probably helps tremendously i'd assume well, yeah, you definitely have to read the skin. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, easy, it's easy to build a form that you can stretch the skin over, but the anatomy can be completely wrong. Right. Um, skin placement and just understanding of muscle structure and anatomy is just is a huge part of what we do. Mm-hmm. We actually spend more time typically on an animal working with getting that form to the right shape, the right anatomy, the right size, than we do actually mounting the animal. For gotcha. us, there's more work that goes into prior work before we actually get to the skin that's awesome i mean makes a lot of sense and i mm-hmm. think it's again it's what uh, allows you guys to produce the qu- the quality of product that you do so that's fantastic i i want to dive into one that um everybody here on the floor i think comes by and they're just blown away but the replicas because you guys are doing some amazing work some yeah. people may not know some probably do um, but walk us through like what are some of the species that um, we can't get back into the United States, and what is the solution to that problem that you guys have found? Yeah, so elephants been one for a while, and that elephants are not new to to the replica taxidermy world for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of figured out a process for for elephants that make them look more like real skin mm-hmm. because the material we use is a, a porous product, so it doesn't look like the shiny fiberglass plastic gotcha. type stuff that people are kind of accustomed to seeing. Um, an elephant is one of those that are very limited in portability. There is some that are coming in now uh, on a very limited basis, 
but um, there's a lot that aren't. Uh, elephant is one, rhino is another one that we do, and a lot of those are green hunts. Um, some see very limited importability with rhino, uh, but more recently, I mean, polar bears have been, been a big one. Yeah. Um, they haven't been, they're zero imports on polar bear uh, out of Canada, so that, that's when we do, do a lot of polar bears. Um, lion is another recent one. That's the that's, big one. <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame. Uh, we always tell, people, always tell people we would much rather have the real skin, um, but because we typically don't have that option with most of the lions that are hunted today, um, we kind of put our heads together over the past few years and kind of figured out, okay, what can we do to kind of recreate these animals for these hunters that really want to showcase their animal, kind of relive that adventure and have something more than a photograph. Um, and uh, yeah, we put, we've, we work with different manufacturers and, and really put a lot of time into research and developing um, our replica line, particularly the ones for the animals that contain fur. Mm -hmm. um, there's a much higher level of uh, detail and expertise that needs to go into those. And uh, so we're doing replicas on lions, polar bears, uh, elephant, rhino. Those are the main species, walrus as well. Um, but we're always kind of adding more. So a year or two from right. now, we'll have some more, more of that. You keeping offering. that a secret from us for now? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I won't put too much pressure on you to tell us what's in the works, but I'm excited to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, so it's, that's been uh, received very well um, because it gives the hunter an option now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, before, it's like you kind of took away some of the incentive to go hunt some of these animals sure. because you had nothing to show for in the sure. end other than a photograph. So. And I think in turn, you know, the, the bummer with that is, is most people don't realize how important in other countries where these animals we're talking about, where they're coming from, the the dollars spent by hunters are such an important part of conservation Absolutely. And, and and yes i mean when you spend that much money it is kind of about the trophy let's be real um we we do want to be able to go and and see our dollars go to helping conservation efforts mm -hmm. um but when you're spending that much money too it's kind of it's kind of nice to bring that memory home with you and if you can't for a lot of folks it's it's kind of hard to cut that check and, and pass it over. And so I think this is a, a great way that people can still kind of, you know, and enjoy that memory and it, it at least provides some sort of option versus no option, which is great. Cause I've, I did the green uh, rhino uh, dart hunt. Um, fantastic hunt. It was a lot of fun. I mean, quite honestly, maybe even a little bit more dangerous than doing it with mm -hmm. a gun. Yeah. And so you guys did a rhino replica for me. It's amazing. Um, I've had it in my booth for years at different events and people love it. Um, it's definitely a showstopper in my home as well. So just nobody realizes it's fake. They don't realize it's yeah. a replica and that's what makes it so unique. I was able to um, send a lot of photos of uh, this particular rhino and these guys, I mean, the measurements of the horn and everything, it's, it's identical. It's superb work. So... It's been really cool to see you guys do that. Yeah, and I think you hit on, a, hit on a really good point. Sometimes people don't understand the connection between hunting and conservation. So as much as we don't like to see U.S. Fish and Wildlife shutting down imports, um, the bigger part of the picture is when they shut down imports on lions, you're actually hurting the lion population and conservation efforts in Africa. Right. Um, so our replica line has kind of sparked up that interest in hunting again and in turn really helped conservation efforts. So sure. that's, a, that's another kind of unseen positive sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's important for people to understand that as an option and, and still hopefully look beyond just something they can put in their trophy room and be yeah. like, ah, this is still helping the conservation efforts in, in these areas where, where you still legally hunt them. We just yeah. have this issue of importation. But yeah. um, so, I, so Wes, you're, you're not a U.S. importer, just a taxidermist, right? 
but you work a lot with imports. Right. So we're not right? a customs broker, correct? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not on the ports, uh, but we are partnered and work closely with several different customs brokers. Gotcha. And so I think it might be interesting in our conversation. Um, we've talked about what you guys do um, as taxidermists. I mean, you mm-hmm. can pretty much do everything, uh, including replicas. We've talked about how long you guys have been in business, but let's let's move on down the supply chain on, on this whole process. So um, before an animal gets to your doors and, and the artwork can begin, they do need to find a customs broker. And can you walk us through a little bit? Of, Cause you probably are more um, dialed in on that stuff than I am. I know I use Genus Logistics, Matt, mm-hmm. Matt Mayer over there, but um, what is that process typically like? Yeah. So any of the international hunted trophies, uh, U.S. requires inspections and importation for those that get into the country. So you mm-hmm. can't just ship an Ibex from Spain and, UPS and have it show up at your door. It has to go through a customs clearance process. And there's basically three agencies that has to, has to go through an inspection and a clearance. And one is U.S. Customs. Then you have the U.S. Department of Ag and also U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They all, all three of those agencies kind of have to sign off on that import. So it takes a non-government company kind of overseeing that importation process. And that's essentially what a customs broker is. They're walking your, your trophy shipment through the inspection process so it can clear customs and be shipped to somewhere domestic. Right. Um, so Genus Logistics in New York is a, is a great one. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of others out there. Um, their proximity to us in Pennsylvania makes a, logis- yeah. a lot of logistical sense. Um, so we work with them quite a bit. Um, but yeah, typically what we will do is we will help facilitate that process. So a hunter is going to Africa per se, per se mm-hmm. and maybe their mm-hmm. first trip. Uh, we'll, we'll send them a trophy import packet that gives them uh, personalized trophy ID tags, also kind of outlines the customs clearance process. Uh, there is some paperwork that has to be filled out for the customs importation process, so we include that as well. Right. Um, so basically what happens is the, uh, the outfitter will hand your trophies off to a shipper who will prepare them for shipping. Uh, they ship either by plane or by boat uh, to an import port. New York is a big one. There's plenty of other ones around there. Uh, if they go into New York... Genus Logistics will kind of intercept that shipment once it arrives, and they will walk it through those three agencies and then release it for uh, forwarding to our studio. Gotcha. So it's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> it is, and, and people don't like paying for that customs broker part of the process because they're like, what are they really doing? But the reality is it's worth it. It's money well spent. It is, and I, and I have realized that too. I've never even attempted to try to do all that paperwork. I know some guys that have, but the, the issue that people don't realize is if you screw that up and it's wrong, you get the wrong, you know, agent at that, at those ports of entry on the wrong day. They have zero qualms at all about throwing everything in the incinerator. And I've heard absolute horror stories. There is no cutting corners on this. Um, you, you really do need to find, um, a good customs agent that can, can help facilitate all this. And, um, I've heard, again, absolute horror stories, leopards coming back and not making it to a tax service because the paperwork was wrong. And yeah. there's no, oh, redo it and we'll help you out. It's those guys, they'll throw it in the incinerator and it's gone. And I've heard a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I'll just hand carry it and check it in my luggage. And, you know, the, the country where you're coming from may have no problem with that. But once right. you get to the U.S., you're going to have all sorts of problems. And it's the same thing. They're mm-hmm. just to the incinerator it goes and game over. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's money well spent, good insurance policy. Right. Get yourself a good customs broker. Exactly. We're happy to help walk 
clients through it. We do it all the time. For sure. I think too, what <laughs> this is one thing I have to explain a lot to some of my clients as a booking agent. It's like, they're like, okay, cool. Well, well then, but how do I get to the customs broker? What, in which port does it come through? I'm like, well, you got to have an export agent in the country where you've hunted as well. And a lot of times your, your outfitters um, that are there typically help set that up. But, but that's kind of the process. I mean, you, um, you find a, a good outfitter, a reputable outfitter, you do your homework. Hopefully they already have a, a export, um, you know, agent in the country where they reside. And then you connect export agent, U.S. import agent, get them together. They facilitate it. Then it finally gets right. to you. And, and that's mm -hmm. where the process really gets exciting. So, yeah. um, well, that's great. I mean, with, with all that in mind, what, have you seen any issues lately with um, importation back into the U.S. with any certain species from any different countries? Because I know this stuff is constantly changing, and you're probably pretty close to it. What were some of the what are some of the potential issues you've seen lately, if any? Well, some of the some of the animals that require a U.S. import permit. So those animals would be leopard, uh, elephant, uh, importable lions, uh, bontebuck. Basically, you need a an import permit from U.S. Fish and Wildlife before that animal can come into the country. Mm -hmm. So there are multiple animals that require export permits from the, the country that's shipping the trophy, mm -hmm. um, which that happens, of course, in that country. Um, but what we're seeing is just delays with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They're a U.S.-based government agency and nothing's ever quick. Um, not the most hunter-friendly uh, organization no. <laughs> around there. <laughs> Definitely so, not. Um, that, that's been a, a big hurdle uh, on some species, just getting that actual import permit. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to make sure that permit is in hand. If you're importing a leopard, for instance, yeah. you want to make sure you have an actual import permit in hand before that trophy leaves Africa. Because if that leopard shows up to the port of entry and you don't have an import permit, you're probably not going to see that leopard again. Best case, they're ship it back to the country of origin. Um, Worst case, it's going in the incinerator and, and you're done. Right. No, that's, that is great advice because I think that's probably such a little simple thing that most people don't take into consideration. But having that import permit in hand is, you know, that's your only really safety yeah. net on that sort of a thing. So, Yeah, and if clients haven't done that before, it's a fairly simple form to fill out, at least for most species. Mm -hmm. um, we're happy to walk them through them. It is something that we ask them to fill out themselves. Um, that way they can sign on it. We don't, we don't work right. as an agent for them. Uh, but we're certainly happy to help walk them through that process and that permit application uh, form. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, well, yeah, no, this, is, this has been great. I think we've, we've kind of established a full picture of, of the process and what you guys can do. I kind of want to go back and revisit a little bit because um, I've seen some of your work. I mean, we, we touched on replicas. Obviously, you guys do a ton of different big game species from all around the world. But outside of what I would consider traditional taxidermy like that, do you do other things like furniture pieces and and things of that nature with some of the skins and horns that, that come in? Yeah, we do a fair amount of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't get into a ton of it. It's not an area that we kind of like put a lot of effort into. We have, uh, we're partnered with a few companies that do to do that type of thing. Um, but apparel, furniture type stuff, we, we do a limited amount of that. Um, we probably put more effort into um, scenic elements than we do furniture type stuff. Like um, habitat creation and things of that yeah, nature. Yeah, we, okay. we do, do a good bit of that, um, even sometimes non-taxidermy related. So just like scenic environments, trees, mountains, indoor rock features and that type of stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I think that's always just a, a good option because I'm just thinking through some of uh, 
well, for example, I was in Zambia last year and, and we were able to hunt hippo and we just mm. released a really cool film about that whole process and the conservation efforts. But obviously I want to keep the skull and it's like, well, what are you going to do with that? Mm. And, uh, my idea, and I'm sure you've seen this before, but is to make it into like a table and just have like a glass oh, yeah. tabletop mm -hmm. on it. And that'd be kind of a, a cool piece in, in our trophy room. So yeah, yeah that uh, type of stuff we do all the time. Yeah. See, I mean, that's, and I think that's too, like a, an important thing to realize is, um, you know, and going and hunting these places, like there's a lot of different options. And so consulting with, you know, somebody like yourself and Kanadi taxidermy, it's just a great opportunity to get some other ideas um, and, and what you can do because you get those really cool giraffe leg bones that you mm -hmm. can do engravings on and just on and on and on all sorts yeah. of unique things. So um, crazy story time. Do you have any like wild <laughs> stories of oh, clients man. asking to do some outside the box things? Yeah. So, I mean, like going back early on, this is like, you know, this is like year one or two when you're hungry for any work you can get. <laughs> we, we made the mistake once or twice of uh, accepting a domesticated animal, pet per se. Mm. Um, we will never make that mistake again. It, the emotional attachment, you know, even if it is a wild animal, a bobcat mm -hmm. or whatever, um, the emotional, we, we're not therapists, <laughs> the emotional attachment that these mm. um, people have to that animal. So that, that was early on. Um, we soon figured out that, you know, hunted trophies are definitely yeah much much better line of work to be in i can't even imagine <laughs> no um, thank you that would be that would be tough yeah. even as the person trying to put that back together my goodness <laughs> um but no uh, other things that have been unique so um people always get crazy with baboons for some reason i mean we've done baboons mm. playing drum sets riding pedal tractors i mean all kinds of mm. odd stuff um, but I think more than that, we, we got into like some animatronic stuff. Um, oh, wow. So that's, that's been kind of cool for some of the bigger installations, yeah, really cool. you know, uh, like give us an example. Well, like for instance, a, a crocodile that would have a motion sensor on it that would move when you walk past it. That's um, cool. Like making the jaws move or tail, like the whole thing just kind of tail moving. And it's, wow. it was the, uh, the client wanted it more for a reaction type piece, you know, you're sure. walking through this <laughs> the themed environment, you go past the crocodile and you know, sound effects go in and the tail starts moving back and forth. Right. Um, that's about the things like, you know, eye blinks and stuff like that. So uh, a little bit with animatronic stuff. Um, we, do, uh, we do a lot of replica elephants. And one of the, the unique things we do with those is uh, we've actually done uh, tap systems, like bar tap systems. I do re so I remember seeing that at SCI a couple of years ago, I guess it was. Yeah. So that's been, been kind of a, a, a cool novelty item that yeah. people have really liked, um, you know, having an elephant hanging above the bar that <laughs> serves drinks. That's um, pretty cool. But, um, yeah, the sky's the limit. There's always something new uh, and interesting. Right. I feel like sometimes, and, and maybe we're going to hit a hot button here with some folks. I don't know. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing to do. But, you know, there, there's probably mixed emotions with most people on, you know, there's a certain amount of reverence that still has to take place, I think, mm -hmm. and, and not dishonoring the fact that this is, you know, a life that we took um, and, and being respectful to it. I mean, do you ever feel like people push the limits too much and cross that line? Is there a line to cross? What, what's been your experience with that? Well, yeah, there has to be a line somewhere for sure. Uh, I think it depends on the species of animal too sometimes. Um, baboons are just a fun animal people do crazy right. stuff with uh, because they're so human-like. Exactly, um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there, there is a boundary somewhere and there has been times where people have made requests that we've had to kind of turn down for, for that reason. Right. Well, it's good uh, that you're, you know, willing to do that. I think that would be it's always hard to turn down business sometimes, but 
to do it for the right reasons and maintain a certain amount of moral standard, right, I think yeah. is important. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> I've heard some wild ideas before and I'm just sitting in, in my, inside my own head going, uh, uh-uh, uh, there's yeah. no way. Yeah, guys. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, well, uh, I think that this show has probably been highly successful for you guys. Um, it seems like a lot of foot traffic, a lot of people coming by, um, you know, just kind of wrapping it up here, but like how many, how many, um, taxidermy animals do you guys do a year? I'm just kind of curious, like what is production like? You, Cause it seems like you guys are a powerhouse. Yeah. It's nonstop for us. And it, your animal, animal count is a little bit deceiving because it can vary a whole lot between a, a maybe a classic shoulder mount and a, mm-hmm. and a life-size elephant, for instance. Sure. So, um, um, we will easily do several thousand pieces per year. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it is a little bit deceiving because the piece count is, can yeah. vary a good bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nonstop. We have a crew of about 15 to 20 people, mm-hmm. uh, full-time, just you know, skilled artisans, um, right. definitely couldn't do it without them. But, um, I mean, that actually brings up a good point. Cause I don't think most people even realize that. Cause when I was there, it was very cool to kind of see the, the assembly process, if you will. I don't know what mm-hmm. you guys call it, but walk us through what that looks like. Because most of your, your like, I don't know how to, this is the best way to say it, but your high end studios, like I consider you guys, um, it's a very well thought out process and, and there's a lot of different hands, a lot of different people that are experts at what they do that yeah. have a part in that. Right. Yeah. So that, that is a good point. Cause we, we do get the question sometimes, well, Hey, you know, how do I know the person doing my animal is going to know what they're doing? Like, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, you know, the owner's not doing everything, it mm-hmm. probably means I'm going to get some guy who doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but I think to the contrary, we actually are able to produce a higher quality of work because we have a, a diversified team that's experienced, but, but we have like certain team members that only work on sheep, like pretty much that's their thing. If it's a sheep, they're going to be the ones crafting that form, uh, sculpting the facial expression. Um, so they know sheep inside and out. I mean, mm-hmm. they look at the reference photos all day. They, they really know sheep well. Same thing with cats and, and right. even bears. We, we kind of have our, our, uh, our shop, our team has their own niche, so to speak. Um, so we've actually been able to in, improve our our quality and our offerings because we have a sizable team, uh, because we can specialize more. Right. We're not trying to be a, a one person does everything. Right. So it's a we team do, of specialists. Absolutely. Yeah. So we do have our taxidermy team, and the taxidermy process for us is is sculpting that form, posing that form, um, actually applying the skin to it. Uh, and then once that part is finished and the, the glue's setting up and everything's drying, then it then it goes over to our finishing team, and they're the ones that do the final airbrushing and rebuild the membranes and gotcha. touch-ups and, and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Um, so they so they do that all day every day. So they're really good at mm-hmm. using an airbrush and blending colors and <laughs> so crazy watching stuff. them do that too. Yeah, <laughs> and then we have our, our habitat and our scenic department that does focuses more on the, the scenery side of things mm-hmm. and vegetation and rock work and trees and right. things like that. That's really cool. I mean, and, and I was, you know, privileged to be able to go and, and see all that in action. And I mean, it is just, it's like bees working in a hive. Just <laughs> everybody's like got their job and they're just cranking it out. And it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, and, and the one, the one thing we haven't touched on, this will be actually a good one to close with is so once, once it's done, um, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, you're, you're based out of Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm on, I'm in, I live in California. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's, what's the best way to get it to me if I choose to, to work with you guys? And you guys have, I think, probably delivered taxidermy in every state now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every state and, and lots of international countries as well. Um, so, yeah, we do have our logistics 
team as well. Mm -hmm. We have several different delivery options. Um, everything from crating and shipping, which mm -hmm. sometimes that's the only option. If we got something going to Hawaii, um, we're not driving there. So right. uh, you know, that's getting crated and shipped. We also have our in-house delivery team. We've got a truck and trailer that really gets all over the country. Um, and our guys will go and you know actually unload that animal and hand carry it into the, into the client's uh, trophy room, sometimes even set it up for them. Um, and then we work with, we work with some third-party uh, delivery companies as well if, if the need arises. Um, but logistics, we we got lots to offer. We try to keep the cost as low as we can. Uh, mm -hmm. No one likes to pay for shipping. We hate charging for shipping. Yeah. Um, so our goal is to keep that cost low and keep it as painless as possible, um, ensuring that the stuff gets there right. in good condition. So we've got we've got options. Yeah. Well, I it, mean, to make it easy. I, I've been impressed on the receiving end of this because uh, you know a couple of the guys jumped in the truck and trailer and pull up right in front of the house, help mm -hmm. me get everything set up, and then they. They had two stops because I, I wanted some of the other stuff in our Peaks office, one of the businesses that I co-own, and they ran up the street and met me there, and then mm -hmm. they unloaded there, and it was it was first class. I mean, um, it, being able to, to have them you know help because some of that stuff was big was yeah. was really important, and so because my, my wife can't help me with that stuff, but um, I think it's a great service that you guys offer, and to be able to do it at that scale um, and drive from PA all the way to Montana or California or Texas. It's, it's pretty huge. So yeah. what are, what are some of the most common questions that you think you get? I, I feel like time, like how, when do I get my trophy back? It's probably yeah. the number one. It is. And for it, you guys, what does that look like? Yeah. So that, that's definitely a common question. And it does fluctuate for us from, from month to month, even depending on what our workload is. We can't rush what we do. Meaning like we have a heavier workload one month, we're not going to spend less time on those trophies. Um, so it does push our lead times out further. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're scheduling, depending on the animal, uh, anywhere from 12, sometimes even up to 18 months out. Mm -hmm. um, our goal is to have it less than that, but just right now coming out of a really busy season for us um, with some of the, the COVID shutdowns and now Africa open up, opening right. up again. It, uh, and even some of the supply chain stuff, it's been a little bit more challenging. But right now, if you were to bring us a trophy today, it'd be anywhere from 12 to 18 months. Wow. Well, and I feel like that's fair, though, because I don't know. I've, I've had experiences in the past where somebody rushed some taxidermy work for me. You've actually got one of those at the studio mm -hmm. that I've had to hopefully you guys can fix because he rushed it, didn't do a good job, and it, it just looks horrible. And so yeah. I would much rather wait and be patient and have somebody really take the appropriate amount of time to do it right. Um, that way you don't have to deal with that. I mean, this is a Cape Buffalo I'm talking about. It's not like it's some easy fix. And so and it's the first one I ever hunted. And so for him to not do his job as, as well as I hoped and have to go back through the whole process, it's a pain in the, in the rear end. But, um, you know, 12 to 18 months, I feel like it's pretty standard. It's fair. I think that most people um, that are new to maybe doing this stuff and, and haven't had a lot of tax for me work, I think that's a fair amount of time, and especially when you're getting the quality that you guys do. So, and do you offer an expedited service as well? We can, depending on what the species yeah. is and depending on our workload. There's, there's yeah. times we can make exceptions to that. Uh, we don't, right now, we don't do a lot of that mm -hmm. just because um, our, our workload is, is, is as backed up as it is. Sure. Uh, but there are occasions we can we can work yeah. some stuff in if, if there's you know certain scenarios that uh, right. allow for that. Right. Awesome. Well, Wes, I can't thank you enough for jumping on. I think this. I hopefully this has been incredibly educational for everybody. Yeah. Um, there's there's always new hunters coming in to to what we do, and and that means there's new hunters learning about taxidermy and what this whole process is, and especially like 
if it's your first time going out of the country and needing to bring taxidermy work back um, or work in for taxidermy, I, I can't recommend anybody better. I feel like you guys have just done a tremendous job. So uh, thanks for giving us the rundown on all that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, I know we're kicking off our last day. And you probably need to run back to the booth and <laughs> answer tons of questions. Yeah. But thanks for taking time to, to meet with us, and, and we appreciate it. For sure. Absolutely. Appreciate everything. We'll do this again. All right. Sounds <laughs> All right, good. Buddy, thanks. Bye.